In one of the quotes in the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning says this, when I get honest, I admit that I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said that I am a rational animal. I say that I am an angel with an, an incredible capacity for beer. So here this man is, he's looking at his life through the lens of, wow, I'm a believer in Jesus, and yet I have all these other sins and all these other things that I doubt and I, I, I do, but yet I'm a believer in Jesus. See, a paradox is a person or situation or action having seemingly contradictory qualities or phases. A person, situation, or action having seemingly contradictory qualities or phases. Today we're going to glean from Judges chapter 8 several things about the life of Gideon. Some of the things we're going to glean is point number one is we're going to glean how to answer softly. We're going to glean why it's important to stay humble. We're going to glean why we should watch out for anger. We're going to learn and, uh, and, and not let success, how to not let success cloud our vision. And lastly, we're going to learn how to focus on God and not on, not on self or things. Answer softly, stay humble, watch out for anger, don't let success cloud your vision. Focus on God, not self or things. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into this chapter, I pray that you challenge our hearts and our minds to just apply some of the things that we learned today. Like Gideon, Father, we are all a people of paradoxes. We're a saint who sins. We're a believer who doubts. So help us as we walk through this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, there's a lot of battle, there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of graphic scenes in Judges chapter 8. We're just going to dive right in, Judges 8 verses 1 through 3. And this is a little scripture heavy today. Uh, I'll try to my best to, uh, to uh, not bore you with God's word, but it is a little scripture heavy today. I want to give you that warning. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, meaning Gideon, what is this that you have done to us? Not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. So these two guys, these, these men of Ephraim, wanted to go fight this battle against, the Midian, against Midian, but Gideon didn't want him to. And they accused him, the men of Ephraim, accused him fiercely and said to him, what have I done now in comparison with you? And he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? So what these guys are doing, they're accusing Gideon of not allowing them to partake in the battle. But Gideon says, he flips the script. What have I done now in comparison with you? Look what you have done. Is it not, is not gleaning the grapes of Ephraim better than the grapes harvest of Abiezer? 
God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zaeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger, meaning the men of Ephraim, against Gideon subsided when he said this. So this is kind of a, a, a pivotal point where you have these two, the, these men of Ephraim com- confronting Gideon. Why didn't you include me in this battle, include us in this battle? They took it as a snub. They took it as a rejection. Gideon said, look what you have done. You've done more than I. Gideon answered softly. He could have bowed up. He could have got prideful. He could have, he could have came back at them and been, been combative with them. And yet, he answered softly. Tim Keller in his book on the, on the book of Judges says, Gideon's response to them is respectful and diplomatic. He points out how much more powerful their tribe is than his clan, and that they, unlike him, have already captured and killed two Midianite leaders. Ephraim's snub and scolding must have been hard to take, but he holds his tongue, and with their desire for glory and praise satisfied, the resentment against him, meaning Gideon, has subsided. Gideon was diplomatic when confronted. Gideon answered soft when confronted. How do we do when we are confronted? When someone comes to you and says, I can't believe that you did this, or you didn't do this, or you didn't include me, do we bow up and get prideful and defensive, or do we answer softly? Gideon was diplomatic and chose his words wisely. He didn't get defensive and push back. I think we all need to put this into practice. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Years ago, uh, probably close to 25 years ago or or longer, uh, my very first deposition on a big civil case that I was testifying in here in in the Kanawha County area, I was hired by the plaintiff's uh, counsel to do some expert witness work, and I knew the case backwards and forwards. I knew every jot and tittle of the case. I knew every angle of the case, every nuance of the case. And I was confident as I was going into that deposition that I was going to show those guys that I know my stuff. Every single ounce of that case, I knew. So I walked into this deposition in um, Kanawha County in one of the larger law firms and sitting at this large board table, had the court reporter, the a bunch of people in the room, a couple attorneys on the defense side. And I was going up, quite frankly, I was being deposed by the, um, the president of the West Virginia Bar Association. Make a long story short, I blew it. My very first deposition and I blew it because I got defensive. The defense counsel started attacking my credibility. The defense counsel started uh, attacking uh, um, my knowledge of the case and I got prideful, and I bowed my neck, and I, I, I rushed back at them, like, you're not gonna tell me I know this case backwards and forwards. I blew it by bring, being prideful. That was a learning experience for me. Actually, the attorney that hired me, I still do work for occasionally, <laughs> said, Ted, I think we're all gonna learn from this one after the uh, case was done. 
That was a hard lesson to learn. I knew my stuff, and I was going to show them that I knew my stuff. Pride clouded my vision, and I did not answer softly. I think Gideon is showing us how to answer softly. He flipped the script on them. He was diplomatic and chose his words wisely. There are times in our lives when we be, need to be diplomatic and choose our words wisely. Let's move on in the text. And Gideon came to Jordan and crossed over, and he had 300 men who were with him, and they were exhausted from pursuing these two, these two guys, these two tribes. So the men of Succoth, a town that they came across, he said to them, can you give me some food for my men, some bread, maybe a little bit of water? Um, we're exhausted. And the men of Succoth were put in a very perplexing situation because they knew he was pursuing these two kings, Ziba and Zalmunna. And they said, do you already have Ziba and Zalmunna in your hand? And if so, we'll give you bread to your army. Gideon said, well then, when the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with the briars. And from there, he went up to Penuel, another town, and he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had. And Gideon said to the men of Penuel, when I come again in peace, I will break down your tower. So Gideon got prideful. His men was, were hungry. He was hungry. They were chasing these two, two kings, Ziba and Zalmunna, and they were trying to find them and get them. He goes to a couple towns and asks them because his 300 men were exhausted. And the two towns basically said no. The two towns were hedging their bets. If you've got these two kings, we'll help you. If you don't have them, we will not help you. Gideon then says, and this is, I find this, I find this sad but, but, but ironic. He said, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and briars. He's threatening the men of Succoth. And then the men of Penuel who turned him away, he said, I will come again, when I come again in peace, and that's irony, I will break down this tower Gideon got defensive. He got prideful. Our second point that we want to look at today is this. Stay humble. Just stay humble. Pride gets in our way. Gideon answers Succoth and Peniel very differently than he answered Ephraim. When the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars, and I will return in triumph, and I will tear down your tower. Pride has a way of thinking me first. So instead of God fighting the battle for Gideon and the 300 and the people, Gideon says, I will tear your flesh. I will return in triumph. I will tear down your tower. Pride focuses on me. In his pride, Gideon loses sight of God's provision and takes things into his own hands. Gideon does not recognize God's powerfulness and protection and basically has the attitude, you dare to doubt me? 
I'll show you my power when I get back. You'll learn to have respect for me, Penuel and Succoth. That was from Tim Keller's book as well. Gideon's pride shows that he expects to be given glory. James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So our second point today is this, stay humble. We've got to fight our pride, don't we? I think inside of all of us, there's a prideful bone. At times, it likes to rear its ugly head. And I think we all have it, if we're honest. But let's stay humble. Verse 10 of chapter 8, now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor with their army. Let's skip down to verse 11. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nobah and Jagabeh and attacked the army, and the army felt secure, for the army felt secure. And Ziba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and he threw all the army into a panic. Gideon's hot, fierce passionate pursuit for Ziba and Zalmona was complete. He got these guys. He captured them. They're his. They're under his command. He did it. He lost sight of God fighting the battle. He was not a humble man at this point. Gideon completed the mission that he was seeking. Verse 13, Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the accent of Herez, and he captured a young man from Succoth. Remember the town Succoth? That turned him away from bread and water? And he questioned him. I can imagine it wasn't a nice questioning. It doesn't say this in God's word, but I imagine when he got this young man, he grabbed him by, just, this is not in God's word, this is just my paraphrase. He grabbed him by his neck and said, you dirty, rotten scoundrel, I need to know every single leader in your town because I'm going to pay retribution. Tell me now or off with your head. He probably scared this young guy to death. So he's shaking him. Doesn't say that in Scripture. I'm just being a little bit creative here. So this young man, this young man spills the beans. He wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to Succoth, and he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, whom and about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we would give you bread for your men or, and, who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars with them, and taught the men of Succoth a lesson. Now, he acted out in anger. You ever do something in anger? You ever act out in anger? As a dad, I learned something um, a long time ago in parenting. Never parent out of anger. Never correct out of anger. Have a cool head if you need to correct your child. Because sometimes anger gets away from us, doesn't it? You ever do something in anger that you wish you wouldn't have done? Said a word? Accosted someone? Anger has a way of clouding our vision, doesn't it? So he took these guys out from Succoth and humiliated them. 
Not only did he beat them, he beat them badly with briars and thorns. Uh, If you've been to Israel, you know that if you go in the wilderness, um, thorns there are not like what we see on a, a rose bush here. Uh, thorns are, are, are long, they're big on all these different trees. In, in the wilderness, they have trees with thorns on them like this and, and, and they're pretty, um, uh, I don't think I would want to fall into one of those or trip into one of those. So he took thorns of that nature and beat these guys. And then comes Penuel, the town of Penuel. He goes to Penuel and he breaks down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. So anger caused Gideon to lose control. How many times have we said in our lives, anger and anger, I lost my control. Our third point is watch out for anger. Watch out for anger. Anger clouds our vision. If we allow anger to, anger controls us. At times, we are irrational when our vision is blurred by anger. Gideon was angry. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I need to practice James 1.19 more in my life. Now we're going to see a twist in, the, in this plot of Judges chapter 8. We're going to see, we're, what's going to come out is, quite frankly, Gideon's real motives are going to be revealed. The plot thickens. Gideon's true motives will be revealed. Now he goes back to these two kings that he captured, Ziba and Zalmunna. He's got these guys. He's got them where he wants them. He's got them. And in verse 18, Gideon asked him, asked those two guys a very interesting question. Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? Where does that come into play in this text? So in Gideon's mind, he had an ulterior motive of getting these guys. And we're going to flesh this out. Tabor, Mount Tabor, is in northern Israel uh, in the Galilee region. It's on the edge of the Valley of Jezreel uh, near, uh, quite frankly, where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And that's where these two men, Ziba and Zalmunna, killed some guys. Ziba and Zalmunna said, as you are, so are they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, and, and this is Gideon, These were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you have saved them alive, I would not kill you. So Gideon's alternative alternative motive was, buried motive was this, seeking vengeance for the loss of lives of his brothers by the hands of these two men, Ziba and Zalmunna. It wasn't to protect the people that God was given him to protect and lord over. It wasn't to usher in uh, God's peace in the country. It was to seek vengeance on the guys that killed his brothers.
vengeance, anger, rage. Go back to verse 19. Gideon said, as he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you have, would have saved them, I would not kill you. Verse 20 is interesting. So Gideon, in front of these two guys, Ziba and Zalmunna, and I'm sure there are others there, wanted to not only kill them, but disrespect them and rub it in. Gideon said to Jether, his firstborn son, rise and kill them. But Jether was a young man, and he did not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Not only did Gideon want Ziba and Zalmunna to die by the sword, he wanted them to die disrespectfully by having a young lad kill them. That's pretty harsh. Then Ziba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us for." As the man is, so as his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna. And then he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. So they're out in the desert and they have camels. And around the camels' necks were these crescent ornaments. So he killed them with the sword. Fourth point is this. Don't let success and or vengeance cloud your vision. Don't let success or, vi or vengeance cloud your vision. British historian Lord Acton wrote this. He said, all power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Gideon was the man that wielded power. Keller writes in his book, he says, now we see new detail in this narrative. The Midianite kings had killed Gideon's own brothers and that their deaths are what made him so determined to catch them. Gideon's ruthless, remarkable pursuit has been motivated less by a desire to complete the deliverance of God's people than by a drive for personal vengeance for the honor of his own family. Gideon took his eyes off God and put it on himself and his family. This is why Gideon asked his oldest son to kill him. He wants to humiliate these kings, having them killed by a mere boy. In the end, Gideon performed the execution himself. This sounds like a good Godfather movie, doesn't it? I'm Italian part Italian, watched all the Godfather movies, and as I was studying for this text, it reminded me of some things that I've seen in the Godfather movies. Remember this, and this is something that I think that we will struggle with as humans. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace. Gideon took matter in his own hands. 
He took his eyes off of God and put it on his own success. He was the man of the hour in his eyes. He thought, I am the man. I tore down the tower of Penuel. I beat the men of uh, the leaders of Succoth. I captured Ziba and Zalmunna. Me, I, my. Success can easily forget us to forget God's grace. So the men of Israel said this to Gideon. They saw all of this success. They said, why don't you just rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, verse 22, and you, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. They want him to be king. Verse 23, Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now, there's an interesting twist here, and I, I, I want to pay attention to the fine, finute detail of the scripture here. On one hand, he says in verse 23, let the Lord rule over you. In verse 24, he says, let me make a request. Here it comes. Every one of you give me earrings from your spoil. So he's asking to be rewarded as a king's reward, but he tokenly said, let God rule over you. Kings got reward from all the people that they lorded over. So in verbiage, he's saying, let God rule over you, but in actuality, he's saying, pay honor to me for what I have done. Give me the kickback and give me some earrings, give me some gold. Verse 25, and they answered, we will willingly give them and they spread out a cloak, and every man threw, uh, threw in it the earrings of his spoil, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments that he got, and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna. So he's got all this gold from the Israelites. He's got the two pendants from the camels next around the two kings. He's got their purple robes. Purple, purple really shows royalty. It shows kingship. So even though he's saying that I do not want to be king, let God be your king, he's setting himself up to be king anyway. And besides, verse 27, and Gideon made an ephod out of all of this stuff. It's a, it's a, an ephod is... A, it's a, um, an amulet, uh, a, 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 a worshipful type amulet. And Gideon made an ephod out of it and put it in the city of Ophrah. And all Israel, this is an interesting word, and all Israel whored after it, after the ephod. It became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So Gideon said, oh, let God be your king. But give me a kickback. Give me the gold. Let's, I'm going to make a golden ephod. And I want people, when everybody sees that, that's going to be a memorial of my success. Not what God has done, but what Gideon has done. They took their eyes off God. Our fifth point is this. Focus on God, not self or things. 
Focus on God, not self or things. Gideon wanted a memorial to himself. He refuses to be king, and yet he assumes the honor due to a king. He takes his eyes off God and places them on self or things. This is idolatry. Definition of an idol is anything or any image or other object to which religious worship is addressed. Anything blindly adored or revered. So Gideon sets up an idol to Gideon. And the whole people of Israel hoard after it. What happened to the God of their provision? What happened to the God that would fight their battles before them? What happened to the God that would protect them and provide for them? First John chapter 5, verse 21, John writes, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And, and he's speaking to us. What are, what are some of the idols in our lives? If we're honest with ourselves and we break things down and we look, what are some things that, that we revere? Could be a home, could be a job, could be a car, could be a bank account, could be success, I'm good at what I do and when I do it. Could be my family. It could be a sports team, maybe not the Mountaineers from yesterday. It could be anything that we put in our gaze that takes our gaze off of God and places it on this. Little children, John says in 1 John, keep yourselves from idols. What are the idols in our lives? Verse 29 of chapter 8 says, Jerubbaal, which is another word, name for Gideon, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. Now, we could spend a little bit of time here. I'm just going to gloss over it a little bit. Uh, um, Gideon, how, do, how should we say it? Uh, Gideon liked, liked ladies. He had 70 wives. And not only did he have 70 wives, we're going to see that he, he bore a son by the name of Abimelech from a concubine. So, so he, had, he had a lot of women in his life. And his concubine, verse 31, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and his name is called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abarizites. So what have we learned about Gideon thus far? We learned that uh, he allowed himself to diplomatically get himself out of a tough situation with Ephraim. We also learned that he was a prideful man and he was an angry man and he let success cloud his vision. He didn't focus on God and he put himself first. But it's interesting. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, this should give us some encouragement we know this because Mason have talked about it and read this passage to us several times during this series. And what more shall I say then, the writer of Hebrews says, from time, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samsa and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So even though Gideon was a man of paradoxes, as we all are people of paradoxes, he was also a man of great faith. And he was honored in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of fame of faith, as some Bible scholars have named that chapter. Verse 33. Praise team, you can please come up. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel again and again whored after the Baals and made Baal beareth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who delivered them from the hand of all the enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love for the family of Gideon, Jerubbaal, in return for all of the good that he had done to Israel. Even though Gideon blew it on many occasions, he was still a man that honored God. Guys, we blow it. There's things that we do in our lives we're not proud of. We're people of paradoxes, as Brennan Manning quoted in his book, Ragamuffin Gospel. Here we see Gideon, when he opened the door for idolatry by making the ephod after his death, we're going to learn next week and in the, in the following weeks how his son Abimelech becomes king over Israel. And they start worshiping idols formally again. Abimelech is a bad guy. We're going to learn about him in the next couple of weeks. So today we learned from this passage, we need to answer softly. We need to stay humble. We need to watch out for anger. We need to not let success cloud our vision. And we need to focus on God, not ourselves or things. If we are honest with ourselves, we are all people of paradoxes as well. We are saints with a sin nature. That's why we need God's grace. 